Well, good morning. Uh, we, as I mentioned at the, at the beginning, at the call to worship, we uh, are launching into Holy Week this week. And so uh, we want you to be a part of everything that we have planned. There's a card in your seat. Uh, that's both for your information and meant to be for you to share with somebody uh, that you're not sure where they're at with God. Uh, on Friday night, we'll be right in this room at 7 o'clock for our Good Friday Communion service. Uh, prepare your heart to come uh, to the Lord's table. And uh, we celebrate this uh, kind of on the genesis of this idea of communion, when the Lord himself broke bread, when he himself poured the cup, when he himself had washed their feet. And uh, so we'll, we'll celebrate that. That'll be a brief service. Uh, we've done this, I guess, the last few years, and it's about a 45-minute service. It has become, for me, uh, kind of one of the sweetest services that's in the life cycle of the calendar here at Temple. And so uh, I encourage you to be here for that. And then on Saturday from 11 to 1 is our annual, uh, what we call the Easter egg hunt. We don't really hide them. It's actually not a hunt if a child can't find one of these eggs. Um, there's not a lot of, of hunting that takes place, but, uh, anyways, we'll have a petting zoo and some pony rides and, um, we've got, uh, I just went blank, the frozen stuff with syrup in it, uh, snow cones. There it is. Snow cones. I don't know why that was hard to, to find. Um, we'll have snow cones, um, cause we love to sugar up children and send them home with someone else. Um, and then of course, Sunday morning. Uh, will be our our resurrection worship service. And so uh, we're excited about all the events for this week, and we just wonder if this couldn't be a life-changing week for somebody that God has placed in your life. I know Lance shared a lot about that last week, and the reality is we're called to make disciples, uh, which means we're actually articulating our faith with other people, and we're shepherding them towards what the Christian life looks like. And sometimes that means just an invitation to sit together. Sometimes that means a weekend like this weekend that we just have the boldness to say, hey, let's let's go to lunch together, but I'm going to buy lunch for you by making you sit with me in a church service. Uh, you know, just encourage them uh, and, and invite them to come along with you. We're going to focus this morning on this idea of centered relationships and the Lord in his providence uh, did not get my permission to align with my plans for exactly how we were going to cover this because we will start a new series on Easter Sunday. So we're going to park on this idea for just one week uh, here this spring and then we'll, we're going to circle back to it next fall um, in, in the timing that it seems like the Lord has laid out here and, and this morning um, it is going to be different. We, we just finished walking idea or verse by verse or story by story through the book of Acts, uh, very de- uh, detailed and, and zoning in on a text, which is what we typically do here. Every now and then I feel like it's healthy for us to zoom out and address a principle in the Christian life, one that's repeated in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament in the life of the church. And we're going to look at one of those big ideas this morning. And this morning might actually be incredibly simple. The idea is not to impress you with information this morning. The goal this morning is not even inspiration. Let's be clear that the goal this morning is transformation. And and for us to get to transformation, it requires information. It's the truth of God's word. And sometimes we need a wake-up call. There needs to be some inspiration. But the reason in our creed we always say in, in a prayer together, change me for your glory and my joy, is the goal of this is not primarily information or inspiration. It's that we might be challenged to actually examine where we are. 
And so this morning, that, that's going to be our goal. So I invite you please to grab your Bible. If you don't have one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. That is our gift to you today. Uh, I have to say this. Um, I, I in no way, shape, or form want to criticize how any other church does any other thing. But we were at a family funeral last week that had Bibles in the seats, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then in the inside flap, it said, property of this church. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here's the thing. That we want you to keep that. You're not stealing. We have not stamped this. Uh, do not remove. This is not a library book. Uh, you don't have to, to check it out and check it back in. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to keep that. I don't know why I just chased that rabbit. But anyways, let's hold up our Bibles and let's say our creed together this morning. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Numbers chapter 2. Numbers chapter 2. So you can start out in the book of Genesis and then turn right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 2. But we're going to be a minute before we get to that text. So just kind of hang on if you're a note taker. Uh, we're probably going to take some notes. I, I want, want to set this idea in motion before we really dive in to the text. Uh, I had the privilege of preaching in Florida last week, which meant got, we got to have some time with our firstborn um, who feels like he might as well be in Zimbabwe. Florida feels that far away with our first one leaving the nest. And so it was good to get to be with him. And uh, right before I was headed back to the airport after speaking at an event, um, I got to have dinner with him again. And he said, hey, before you leave, you got to take this back for Bryson. And so I, I took a picture of Bryson with, with this important thing to, to bring home. Uh, he, while we were there, went shooting with his grandfather, um, cause that's, you know, it was just what we do. And, um, and he left his target there. And Garrett was like, hey, I know he's gonna want this. And he did. You can see by the smile, he did indeed want the target. And here's the thing. I think there's something inside all of us at every waking moment of our life that really wants to hit the bullseye. You know, when, when you are teaching a young person, to shoot a bow and arrow, or in this case, to shoot a little 22, and you put that little target downrange, you don't have to say, now the goal is to hit the middle. Right? It's kind of instinctive. But I think that's true about way more than target practice. I think that's the principle of life. Here's how I would say that. We are all centered on something. At every moment of every day, we are all centered on something. And what we're going to unpack as we dive into the text this morning, I think we're actually uh, all centered on some competing somethings. We are all centered on something. And the reason it is so important to examine what the something is, is here's why. Because what we are centered on, that determines everything else. It literally determines who we are becoming, not just what we do, not just the decisions we make, what we are centered on determines who we are becoming, which is the whole Christian life. It's not just what we do or what we think. It is who we are becoming. 
So the, the center of the target, the, the bullseye matters. We don't just assume it's what it should be. We don't just assume that it's centered on the right thing. And as I was thinking through this idea and trying to unpack this, I, I saw a, a clip of something that Craig Groeschel, the pastor of Life Church, showed. And I was like, oh, that illustrates what I'm trying to say. So I kind of hijacked this idea from him. But for those who are visual uh, processors, let's unpack this a little bit. Let's start off with a bullseye. What's in the middle, right? Whatever is in the middle is going to determine everything else. It's going to determine who we become. Specifically, what I am centered on will determine what I believe in and what I value. My beliefs and my values don't stand alone in an island by themselves. They flow from what I have oriented my heart and my mind around. You with me? What I am centered on is what I will trust in, what I will believe in. And then it will determine what's important to me, what my value system is. And the reason that matters is what I really actually trust in and what I really actually value will determine the decisions that I make in my life and then therefore the actions that I take. How do we get from belief to behavior? Well, it travels across the bridge of my values and my decisions. What I am centered on will determine what I believe in and what I value, which will determine how I decide what I decide, and then it will determine what I do. And the reason that matters is the decisions I make and the life that I live will determine the influence I leave on planet Earth and whether or not there's any lasting satisfaction in my existence. We spend so much of, of our life experience trying to evaluate, am I satisfied with my reality today? And what I would submit to you is our satisfaction is not the beginning of the thing. It's the very last thing. My satisfaction today is not so much about the moment I happen to find myself. My satisfaction is a symptom or a consequence of where I have chosen to orient my heart and mind. My satisfaction is not something that happens to me. It's the overflow of where I've centered my life. Now, here's the thing about that question mark in the middle. That's not actually how we live. (laughs) None of us are centered on nothing. Most moments of the day, we spend unaware of what's at the center. We, We live with this reality of, I'm not really paying attention to that. And the problem is... Is I, if I'm not paying attention to the thing that feeds my beliefs and my values, which feeds my decisions and my actions, which feeds my influence and my satisfaction, then what we need is a healthy reexamination of what am I driven for? What am I centered on? We spend all of our lives having conversations about the symptoms. And this morning, this is a clarion call to pay attention to the source. What am I centered on? And here's the answer this morning. In some way and in some reality, every one of us are centered on self from the moment we come into this world. And if you don't think so, try getting into a relationship with another human being and they will tell you. Right? It's one of the things that when you first start dating, one of the first things you realize is this person's not nearly as centered on me as I am. What's wrong? Maybe if we get married, then they'll orient around my universe. 
Let me share a couple, a couple illustrations this morning as, as we unpack this. Early in our marriage, Marisa thought she married a neat freak. I'm a minimalist. Minimalists always marry people who aren't minimalists so that we don't compete for the empty space on the shelf. Right? That's how that works. And if you don't know which one you are, let me just ask you, what did it look like when you packed for your last trip? Exactly. Because either you said, I'm only taking what I know I need, or you packed saying, I have to take everything I might want. Can I get a witness in the house of the Lord? This is some marriage counseling, if you'll just receive it. I am a minimalist. Early in our marriage, I worked in real estate, uh, new construction real estate. I managed and staffed model homes. I love model homes. There's no clutter. There's no, like, pictures of kids. That's ridiculous, right? This is great. Early in on our marriage, Marisa looked at me and she said, we don't live in a model home. People live here. Right? And then we did this crazy thing. We had kids. And the model home has been a mess ever since. Right? But at the end of the day, that actually wasn't as simple as being a neat freak. I was centered on myself. Specifically, my own insecurities that needed my house to look like I had it all together so that people would feel better about me than I felt about me. That's what happens when I'm centered on self. When I'm centered on self, it's no longer about clean or messy. It's about identity. Maybe for us, what we're centered on is not so much self as it is maybe our spouse. You can fill in spouse for boyfriend, girlfriend, the boyfriend or girlfriend you wish you had. You fill in that blank a lot of different ways. What I'm going to tell you is all of the rest of the blanks we're going to fill in here all ultimately are self. If I'm actually centered on another person, it's because I'm centered on what I get from them. That's self. Therapists would call this codependence. Right? I find my identity in this person. The, the language of codependence would say this person is everything to me. They are my whole world. If you're in a relationship with someone who is your whole world, you think you would be really happy. The problem is to be centered on a person who's not worthy of that depth of trust is I'm actually on a miserable roller coaster. Because I just ride the wave of every little tone and every little glance and every little body language. Are they happy with me? Are they okay? Is everything okay? And all of my decisions and all of my actions are hijacked to please another person. So I can find my security in them. Which means my influence on planet earth won't be broader than our relationship. And my satisfaction will only be tied to whether or not they seem happy with me today. Right? Or we can be centered on our kids. I'm going to talk to parents for a minute. This is called codependent parenting. Finding my joy and my identity in my children. That is a lot of pressure to put on a child. 
if my life orients around their existence, then, then I, I trust either in my care for them or their future success, neither of which can bear the weight of that level of faith. All of my value system is just around our little universe. And so all the decisions and actions are about how can I have the perfect kids? And the problem is we have a whole generation of young people who are crushing under the weight of our expectations of them satisfying the longings of our hearts. What I'm centered on determines who I'm becoming. It's everything. Some of us have had seasons of life, and maybe it's true today, we're centered on our career. We're centered on our success. And then the people we work with think, man, they seem like a workaholic. Or they seem short-fused when things don't go their way. When in reality, we're trying to take our identity from our job, which is ultimately centered on self. That's not centered on career, right? That was the cheat code. It all comes back to self. And you'll even get promotions and raises if you live this way. You just might lose your soul in the process. Many of us are centered on our career, not necessarily because our identity is tied to success. It's because we just want to make more money so that we can buy more stuff. Because we think at the end of the day, my satisfaction will come from the accumulation of things. Status. And what we find is every time we think the next raise will satisfy us more, we're just as dissatisfied. Because when our value system is tied to our things where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, we're going to end up pretty empty. And what I would submit to you is, this is a picture of the Christian life, is it's Jesus at the center of it all. Here's the thing. When Jesus is becoming more and more the center of my life, he's the one I trust, not me and everybody else around me. My value system is being shaped by a life oriented around him. Then my decisions flow from his worldview and his truth. And he's conforming my behavior and my actions to look like him and to honor him. And what happens is I end up having an influence much greater than I ever thought I could have for myself, but for his name's sake. And that's the only place I'll ever find any lasting satisfaction because only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the human heart. This is not the way Jesus is calling us to live so that he can take more territory. He lovingly invites us to orient around the only thing that can ever satisfy us. Himself. We see this picture whispered in the image of our Old Testament text today. And then we'll have a New Testament text on the screen in a few minutes. The people of God have left bondage. They've already had the exodus. That's why we turned right and we passed through the exodus block. They are on their way towards the promised land. And in the meantime, God is giving them some order. The book of Numbers is for all of you Numbers people in the room. It's nice and organized. It's very tidy. It's a very tidy book. And before he gives them a lot of 
the, the genealogy systems and, and the processes of how to do life. He tells them how to set up camp as they're traveling in the meantime. Numbers chapter 2 says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard. Think of a family name. With the banners of their houses. Think of the family crest. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. This is a beautiful picture of the life that Jesus came to purchase for us. He's telling them in this temporary process, as you're setting up your tents, and by the way, the whole rest of the chapter is him giving very specific instruction about where everybody's supposed to be. But it's not about where they are, it's about where they're facing. That the whole people of God would be centered on the manifest presence of God. The tent of meeting, the place where God would reveal himself to his people. He said, set your temporary home up, all facing the same way, my presence. Which Jesus came to fulfill, which is revealed to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. A life centered on the manifest presence of God. Jesus would come on the scene and he would preach the sermon about this upside down kingdom that was unlike anything anybody else had ever heard. And in the middle of that sermon, he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first and his righteousness and all these things, all the lesser centers will be added to you. Seek first, orient your heart, orient your mind around the kingdom. Center on the kingdom that never ends. It's the same message that we heard from John the Baptist. I must decrease. He must increase. You could hijack that language and say, I need to get out of the center. And he must take his rightful throne at the center. The Apostle Paul would say, I've got quite the awesome resume, and I count all of this as rubbish that I might know him. This one thing I do. And then the most beautiful and helpful language the Apostle Paul said about this idea, about the whole Christian life, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says this, Jesus He died for all. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for all? All is a really big word this morning. That means you on your worst day. Jesus died for all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Why did he die? Well, Jesus died so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. That is true but doesn't even scratch the surface. What Jesus died for isn't yours when you die. It's yours when you are in him. Jesus died for all so that those who live, if you're alive this morning, that means this is for you, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him 
who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus did not die for me and raised from the dead for me so that he could sponsor me. He died for me and raised from the dead for me to be my savior, not my sponsor. He died to save me, to rescue me from the tiny little kingdom of self. So that I can live for him where I can find lasting joy and lasting life and lasting peace and lasting meaning. He didn't just die for us for future realities. Praise God he secured our future realities. But he died to change our present. The examination of the Christian life is not what's going to happen when I die. It is how am I living And today I, I centered on the one who died for me and was raised. Am I living for him? I believe that the life of following Jesus, the Christian life, is a constant, lifelong reassessment and realignment of competing centers. I believe the Christian life is a constant reassessment and realignment of competing centers. And the farther down the Christian journey we are, not the better people we are, I think we're just quicker at noticing when we're out of alignment. It's not that the competition stops. The day the competition stops is when we finally see him for who he is and goes, yep, nothing else compares. (laughs) In the meantime... There's this battle. There's this lifelong tug of war. A friend of mine recently hit a curb driving 40 miles an hour. And then said to me, I think my car is out of alignment. You think? You should probably get that checked. If you can only drive in circles, then probably your vehicle is out of alignment. I'm not totally sure how they test that. I mean, I can tell when a car won't drive straight. I'm not totally sure how they fix that. I'm not mechanically inclined at all. But in the spiritual realm, I can tell you this. Every time I sit down in the presence of God and open his word, I'm reassessing and realigning my heart towards him. Every time I I praise him for who he is and I see just a glimpse of his glory, I'm reassessing and realigning my heart towards him. Every time I sit in a circle in a community group and share what God's word has said to me, I'm reassessing and realigning my heart. And I believe every time we come together as the people of God, we're coming into the shop to get realigned. That's what this is. Because our hearts are constantly being vied for by lesser sensors. This this is the book of Numbers. This is the constant reconciliation of the checkbook. (laughs) Paying attention to where's the expenses gone this week. (laughs) So that we can realign. Uh, One of my favorite authors, John Piper, used a phrase so much in his writing that his publisher took this phrase and made it the title of a, a series of devotional guides. It's this phrase. A Godward life. 
Godward, not westward or northward, <laughs> that my life is orienting towards, centered on God the Son, a Godward life. So very quickly this morning, I want to give you three things, three very simple ideas uh, very quickly from this text about how we can realign our hearts. And here's the first one. Remember that we're not home yet. Notice he told them to set up camp. Camp is an important word in this text. Camp. Not build your permanent house because you're not home yet. You've not yet reached the promised land. None of us are home. Listen to me. The day we gave our life to Jesus, he gave us a new passport. We now have dual citizenship in a far greater kingdom. Right? The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This temporary life should not be where I'm putting all of the sum total of my identity and my possessions. Here's how I would say this. In this temporary kingdom, I will continue to recenter on the eternal king. I'm just in a temporary place. So I want to continually recenter on the one who is eternal. And by the way, the one who's the true king. In this temporary, lowercase k kingdom, I want to recenter on the eternal king. Lance talked last week about the kingship of Jesus. I heard Levi Lusco talk about this idea of our citizenship in this way. He said, imagine that you're staying in a hotel. On the day that I heard him say this, I was sent a text from John and Emily Slater, our missionaries in Ireland. They've asked me to come speak for them at the end of the summer. And he said, here's the hotel that we booked your room at in Ireland. Okay. I clicked on it. One of the first things that popped up was a complaint from a customer that said, this place is outdated. I don't know. So I want you to imagine, I I travel to Ireland to preach for a couple days. And I go into that room and go, this is too outdated for me. I'm going to order all new furniture. Right? I'm going to get one of them fancy beds that like sits up and whatever, you know. Spend some bank on this room. And this TV is way too small. I'm blind. I'm going to get a big old honking flat screen TV mounted on the wall. Yeah, there you go. That's it. This artwork is just not up to my standard. I'm going to order all new art for this room. I don't like the carpet. Let's change that too. Right? And then three days later, I check out of that hotel and fly back to the U.S. and never stay in that room again. That's pretty ridiculous, right? Pretty foolish. That's the same foolishness of saying, I believe this is a very temporary kingdom, but I'm going to invest everything I am and have into this life. I'm going to spend all of my resources on things that moth and rust destroy and that thieves break in and steal. I'm going to pour my life, my existence, into the temporary. Here's the deal, y'all. We're just setting up camp. This is not our final home. When we reorient our hearts towards eternity, it brings into focus, am I centered on possessions, stuff, comfort, wealth, self? 
We're centered on the king. Here's another helpful thing from the passage. Not just that this was a camp. But this instruction was given to a community. The picture painted here in Numbers chapter 2 and for the rest of this whole chapter is that the whole camp of the people of God was all around the tent of meeting, the manifest presence of God. So together they were facing it. So really today it's less about am I building my life around Jesus, centered on Jesus. And the question is, are we centering our life together as the people of God around Jesus? Right? And this is where we kind of springboard into the idea of centered relationships. Am I investing my life into building my most intimate relationships with people who also belong to this other kingdom? The people closest to me, the people who are shaping my world view. We're so aware of where our relationships are fractured. But I love this quote from Paul David Tripp. He said, I've become more and more persuaded that relationships are fixed vertically before they're ever fixed horizontally. The, the goal for us to get along is not for you to join me in the pursuit of self-centeredness. The goal is that together we would orient our lives around the person of Jesus. And as we are reorienting our hearts together, we notice, you know what? There's a lot less conflict between my kingdom and your kingdom when our kingdom and your kingdom die to the glory of his kingdom. And and our deepest and most, they're not our only relationships. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But our closest and most intimate relationships are people who are centered on the same thing. We share the same beliefs and values and therefore our decisions and our actions align because we desire to have an influence greater than ourselves. We're experiencing the same satisfaction that's only found in Jesus. Hey, let's do life together. Living in genuine community with Jesus followers. What unifies us most is our centering. And here's the last idea. This is meant to be a testimony to the nations. So if we're using C words, we're camping in community and we hope it's contagious. (laughs) We hope other people see how we've oriented our life and are drawn towards it. Our centeredness creates a gravitational pull for those around us. Lance talked a lot about this last week, so we won't we won't park here long. But here's what I would simply say. What we are centered on does create a gravitational pull for good or for bad. (laughs) Is that good news or is that bad news? Well, it depends on what we're centered on, right? The the gravitational pull is what our heart is most centered on. And I believe with all of my heart that we need an awakening today to pay attention to what am I really living for? What am I really centered on? And I want to link arms with people who are centered on the same thing. And then together... Let's invite more people into that journey. If we've really tasted of the satisfaction of a life oriented in Jesus, then don't we want other people to experience that too? Easter is an extraordinary opportunity for us to have one of those contagious conversations. If the resurrection actually changes everything, then this is a great opportunity. Lance talked about a deflection last week. 
that we would not deflect our responsibility and our calling to invite other people into the journey. But we'd say, how could I not share this? So here's three questions I want you to consider today. If you're a note taker, I want you to write these down. When these three questions make their way on the screen, I'm going to challenge somebody to take a picture of this and really spend some time with the Holy Spirit this week. Here's my question. Where am I most centered today? Not there was a season in my life five years ago. Where am I most centered today? And I just wonder if we'd really ask that question with an open heart and open hands of the Holy Spirit. What would he reveal that we really are actually living for? Where am I most centered today? And then number two, who am I most connecting with? Are my most intimate relationships people that I'm building deep community with who are also pursuing Jesus? Are we setting up camp together? And then the third question is, who am I inviting on the journey with me? Who am I inviting on this journey with me? I challenge you, I I believe, um, believe if we'll ask the Holy Spirit, is there somebody I'm supposed to speak to this week? He might just give you a name. He's that way. If we'll really ask him, who am I inviting on this journey with me? He very well may give you a name this week. My challenge this morning is not so much for you to look at your circumstance. It's for you to examine the center of your heart. All of us are in battle and intention. I I did not share this this morning because I have conquered this. You will not hear me say in the words of the Apostle Paul this morning, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I am smack dab in the middle of my own competition, vying for the throne of my own heart. I'm just so grateful that he's not given up on me and that he keeps drawing me back to the beauty of his glory, the worth of his presence. And as I see people I care about struggling and not thriving, I just want to challenge you for just a moment to think of your circumstance as less of your problem and more of just an overflow of living in a broken world. The greatest opportunity we have today is to really examine honestly What have I centered on the throne of my heart today? Where am I orienting my heart and my mind? And what then is the overflow of that? Because with everything in me, I believe, only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the human.